What is most interesting to me about this statue is not what can be seen, but instead what cannot be seen. Hello and welcome to Meet Me at the Art Museum, a podcast all about the weird, wonderful, and inspiring world of art history. I'm your host, Zoe, and today I want to share with you a sculpture from medieval China. In the back of the Buddhist gallery at the Cleveland Museum of Art, there sits a Chinese Buddhist wooden statue of Guan Yin. Guan Yin is the Chinese form of the deity Avalokiteshvara in Indian Buddhism. Um, which comes from Mahayana Buddhism. It's the second wheel or the second vehicle of Buddhism in which the traditionally deity-less religion of Buddhism adds a pantheon of gods, including Buddhas, but also something that we call bodhisattvas. Um, So Buddhas, most people know, are figures who have achieved enlightenment and entered into nirvana which is a separation from worldly existence, as well as a break, um, a severance of their being from the cycles of reincarnation and the suffering of this earthly plane. Bodhisattvas, on the other hand, are figures who could achieve nirvana, however they have chosen to remain in this earthly realm in order to help devotees achieve nirvana. Of course, they also give worldly favors to their devotees. Guan Yin, in particular, is the bodhisattva of compassion, and people would come to pray to this figure for things like the safe birth of a child or deliverance from natural disasters. If you're interested in learning more about this particular deity, Check out the Lotus Sutra. A sutra is just a Buddhist text. It's a sacred Buddhist text. Um, And the Lotus Sutra, chapter 25, is where Guan Yin is really expostulated on. There's a long explanation of Guan Yin and the miracles associated with Guan Yin. So in the Cleveland Museum of Art, there is a statue of this Bodhisattva of Compassion. It's life-size, almost a little bit larger than life, and it sits in a very realistic reclining pose. The statue is, is seated up in sort of a majestic, um, powerful stance. Its shoulders are squared and its head faces the viewer, but its left knee hangs over the museum platform signaling an entry into the world, into this physical space of the viewer. Its right knee is propped up on the museum platform, forming a rest for its right arm, which is unfortunately broken at the elbow, so we don't know if the right hand originally depicted any mudras, which are symbolic hand gestures in Buddhism. The left arm is stretched out straight behind the deity, and the statue rests its weight onto this left arm. 
The statue is wearing stylized Indian robes that would have been understood by the medieval Chinese people as hearkening to the origins of their religion. Buddhism comes from India, Pakistan. The statue is also wearing lavish jewelry. A large collar necklace hangs on its chest, and an ornate crown sits atop its head. The statue bears what is called an urna, or a third eye, in the middle of its forehead, which would originally have been crystal, but is now plexiglass. Behind the crown, there is an intricate topknot visible, which represents a second brain. Its hair would have been originally painted blue-black. As it cascades down the deity's back and shoulders, it mimics the folds of the fabric, giving a very graceful but dynamic appearance to the statue. Pigment is still visible on the statue. We're seeing reds, we're seeing greens, we're seeing yellows. The skin of the deity, um, which is visible mostly in the arms, head, chest, torso, even the belly, which kind of kind of pools a little bit um, at the waist. All of that skin would have been painted in gold, gilded. Overall, the statue is characterized by a solemnity, a seriousness, but also is very graceful. It's realistic. If you draw a line straight down from the forehead, nose, and mouth, and chin, you'll realize that the center of the head does not align with the center of the torso. This is because the statue is sculpted as realistically having to curve and bend its weight because it has raised its right knee. The fabric folds are very realistic. It looks as though they've been frozen in time. The body and the face of the statue are idealized, however. One of my favorite details is the fact that the statue has no nipples. I don't know why. <laughs> the strength and gracefulness of this statue is fitting not only for a deity, but specifically for a bodhisattva, which is understood to have transcended gender. Eventually, we will see Guan Yin in China being depicted as a woman. However, at this stage, they are still being depicted as a genderless bodhisattva. The statue was carved of palioa wood, or princess tree wood, which is native to many regions in China. Unfortunately, we don't know exactly which region of China this statue originally comes from. However, it was carved between 1115 and 1234, so that would place it within the Northern Song or Jin Dynasty. The realism of the sculpture is very reminiscent of Northern Song sculptures, which inclines me to think that it was carved in the Northern Song Dynasty. The intricacy and the size of this figure suggests that it stood as the central figure of worship within a Buddhist temple. This may have been a side temple, this may have been a central temple, we don't actually know. The statue, in a sense, was performative. This is not a static object that would have been viewed as we view it in an art museum. 
this would have been interacted with as though it was the deity themselves. The devotees of this deity would bring the statue food, jewelry, perhaps pieces of clothing. It might have been draped with luxurious robes, and there certainly would have been incense. The experience of this statue originally would have been multisensorial and very spiritual. What is most interesting to me about this statue is not what can be seen, but instead what cannot be seen. The torso of this statue is not solid, but is instead hollow. And originally, it would have contained something such as a relic of a Buddha, a sacred text, or, and this is my favorite option, silk organs. Organs like heart, lungs, intestines, all made of silk, perhaps containing coins, perhaps containing incense or other precious materials. Some of them are inscribed with what sort of organs they are, and they would have been hung on a string and attached to the roof of the cavity inside the statue's torso, as though they are hanging there suspended and giving life to the deity. Now, why would they have inserted organs into a statue? Well, at this time in Buddhist history, they believed that the statue itself was the physical body of the deity. In the sutra called The Merit of Bathing the Buddha, a Buddha describes to one of its interlocutors how a statue of itself will be exactly the same as its own body, if inside of the statue you insert a relic or a piece of sacred text. The insertion of that relic or sacred text transforms what would have been stone or wood into the physical body of the Buddha. The practice of inserting fabric organs into Buddhist statues during the Northern Song Dynasty has been very little studied, which is atrocious considering how fascinating the subject is. From what I can gather, the insertion of fabric organs was meant to viscerally emphasize the bodily presence of the deity in that statue. The presence of organs proved that the statue was alive. If you go online, you can actually see the back of the statue bears some sort of carving lines from the original door to the internal cavity. In the case of other statues with these internal cavities, sometimes we see inscriptions on the inside panel written by the people who originally animated that statue. As far as I can tell, no one has yet taken a camera inside the statue in order to see if there are inscriptions on its internal back. There's a hole at the base of the statue where you could put a camera through. Now, the statue is well over 50 years old, and I think that a colonoscopy might be called for in this case. I really want to know if there's any sort of inscription telling us the date or the original contents of the statue inscribed on its interior back. There are special ritual practices associated with creating a statue of a Buddhist deity in China at this time. The eyes themselves of the statue would have been the last things to be completed. 
and would have been accompanied with ritual ceremonies, recognizing this statue now as not a statue, but a physical presence of the deity. Understanding how these statues were viewed in medieval China gives us an insight into why people might have brought food, clothing, incense for the statues themselves. There are many miracle tales associated with images of Guanyin at this time. My favorite one relates the story of a man who was falsely accused of a crime and sentenced to execution. He prays before a small statue of Guanyin that he has in his room um, and then goes off to his execution. The executioner raises his blade and brings it down on the man's neck, but it breaks. So he takes another blade, he raises it, and he brings it down on the man's neck again. And the blade breaks again. He takes a third blade and attempts to cut the man's head off yet another time, and the blade breaks. At this point, the news has reached the emperor, who, hearing of this miracle, pardons the man from execution. The man returns to his room and realizes that the statue of Guanyin itself has three cuts on its neck. This miracle tale illustrates how medieval Chinese Buddhist devotees would have understood the coherence of the prototype and the image of the deity and the carved wooden image of that deity. There was no difference between them. Ever since learning about the statue's internal cavity and the possibility of internal organs, I no longer think of this statue as a piece of wood. It has, in my mind, too, become some sort of a living being, similar to me in having a heart, lungs, and intestines. More importantly, this image also gives me access to the spiritual and emotional life of Buddhists in medieval China. I understand a little bit more about what those people felt what their spirituality was, what their worldview was, what their fears, anxieties, and hopes might have been, and how the statue functioned as an active character in the expression of their dreams. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you want to see photos of the Chinese Buddhist statue that I discussed, go to the Cleveland Museum of Arts webpage and search Seated Guan Yin. Guan Yin is spelled G-U-A-N-Y-I-N. You can also find photos of the statue on the Instagram or Facebook pages associated with Meet Me at the Art Museum. The Instagram handle is Art History Podcast with underscore spaces in between each of those words. I'm Zoe, and this is Meet Me at the Art Museum.